And find there is none like you. There's none like you. There's none like you. Do you want me to stay there? Can I move? Yeah. There 
<laughs> no, what I'll do is, what I thought you wanted was for me to go down an octave because of the congregation, but I'm, I'm just going to stay where I'm at, and then just, I'll project a little bit, and it'll sound a little deeper. Yeah, because I think your eyes might be on the same place or something, Do you still want me to harmonize with you while you're saying, okay. Because I'll get to the point where it's at the end of the song where I will be. Say hi, Pastor. Yeah. I will search for eternity long and find there is none like you. <laughs> No, there is none like you. Thou'st greatest. Probably not today, baby. We did celebrate her birthday yesterday. Probably not today, honey. We're ready for the sound room to put on some soft music.
Good morning, everybody. We are on summer schedule now, so. <laughs> Nina just said we're on Hawaiian time. That's probably about right. But I know, I know some others are, are coming. I know several families are on vacation, and it's that time of year and everything. But we are still able to be here to worship the Lord, to praise his name together. So we will welcome those that are, uh, will be gathering with our worship. So why don't we stand together in his presence. Father, we just thank you so much that we could be here this morning to worship you, to praise you, to exalt your name. Just to step aside and step out of the uh, no going under. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Ushers, if you'll come. Thank you, worship team, beautiful, as always. Praise his name. Hallelujah. As you prepare, Donna, will you ask the blessing? Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. And uh, wonderful again to be in his presence with him on this lovely summer day. Praise his name. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles, if you will. Open them to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We're still moving our way through this armor of the Lord, heading on to the very end of this wonderful little book, wonderful little letter that Paul wrote as we mentioned last week, from prison, from probably his final imprisonment, and uh, that gives us a little bit of a challenge, too, for our walk with the Lord. No matter what situation we're in, we're moving toward our destiny in him. Um, we are in the 14th verse, uh, so let's just go ahead and read that, and we'll read verses 14 and 15. We're going to take up the next piece of armor this morning briefly. Stand, therefore, verse 14. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, we are in this first section of the armor, and we talked about last week how Paul was probably looking at the praetorian guard that was watching over him uh, in his apartment as he was in Rome the last couple years of his life, and uh, just joking about the fact that I wonder, I wonder how many of those soldiers eventually got saved. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine sitting in the presence? Uh, oh, teens, I'm sorry, you could be dismissed. I didn't mean to forget that. Young people, you could be dismissed. Whenever I forget, just, just don't pay attention to me. You can go and do what you want to do. Uh, but um, how many of them got saved? Can you imagine sitting in, in the presence of the Apostle Paul as he's praying and writing scripture and writing letters and witnessing to people and talking with people. Uh, I would imagine a number of those guards uh, probably heard a lot about the gospel while they were doing that. So uh, just as a recap as well, though, because we're talking about armor. So we're talking about warfare that we're in, and we are in a warfare. Remember, we are in Ephesus. Let's go way back to the beginning just to recap the whole, the whole thing. We are in Ephesus, a Roman center. It's an elite, sophisticated city, but it is also an extremely depraved city. It was the center of Diana worship. 
It was as, as well a Roman center, so it was a center or a hub of Roman activity. It was across the world for, for many areas. Remember how we talked about the, uh, the one time the, the outside the gate of Ephesus was a hill where all of the temple prostitutes would leave their newborn babies to die, and at night the church would come out and they would pick up all the babies and bring them home and uh, raise them and talked about a couple of wonderful instances. I think there are actual uh, examples and writings of this where some of those very prostitutes would get saved and they would come into the church and they would be introduced to their five or six year old child that uh, the church had saved from death. So very, very fascinating mixture uh, in that in that place. And so we want to again contextualize just so we can get the whole concept of this warfare that we're in. Uh, we realized that we talked about the Agora, the, the marketplace, and outside of the Agora was the, uh, a laver or an altar to the goddess Diana. So if you were going shopping uh, today in Ephesus, if this were the same thing, you would be going to Giant Eagle or to Mark's or to Aldi's or wherever you go shopping. And right outside, you would pass, of course, the abortion clinic that's right there. And then right before you go in, the open-air brothels would be there where the prostitutes would be plying their trade. And in front of Giant Eagle would be a huge laver. And in that laver, you would have to give incense or give an offering to the goddess Diana before you could go in and uh, do your grocery shopping. How many are still glad we live in the United States and not in early Ephesus? How many know, however, that Ephesus could be coming down the road <laughs> at the rate we're going? We are, we're going to find out. But that's the type of warfare that we would be in. That's the type of warfare that our early brothers and sisters were going through. And so Paul's a, Paul tells us then in the first five chapters that we are not of Ephesus, though. We are not of Youngstown or Warren. We are citizens of of a new kingdom, we have a higher calling, we have a new home, we're sealed by his spirit, we are engaged in a new battle with unseen forces, and that's what this is all about, and that the enemy is not Diana, it's not the temple prostitutes, it's not aborted babies, the enemy is Satan, always has been Satan, the wiles of the devil, and the only way that I know of stopping a prostitute from leaving her baby on a hill to die is for that prostitute to get saved, to accept Jesus as her Savior and the guy that visits with her too. And you know, this, this does remind me of one time when I was in, I believe it was Ecuador, and the church that, we, that I preached at uh, the one evening was a small church in the middle of, of a very uh, rundown area, and there were actually open-air uh, brothels that were right around the church. You had to drive past them to get to the church. And thankfully, at least they had a curtain. <laughs> but they were right there, and the, the little church that we were in had put up loudspeakers on every corner of the church so that the entire church service was blasted throughout the community into all of the prostitutes areas and drug dealers and all the rest. So... <laughs> Hallelujah. This, is, this still applies in many areas uh, of the world. So we're in a battle, and Paul says you need to get dressed if you're going to be in battle. You don't want to go into battle naked. That's not a good thing to do. You don't want to go into a battle and have your rifle, but have your ammo back at the headquarters. You need 
everything ready at that particular time. So he was looking at the soldier. And last week we talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about that because it's so important. It's such a, a foundation. One of the early church fathers, Estius, said that this speaks of righteousness in works and truth in words. Righteousness in our works and truth in in our words. So let's look first at the, at the, the uh, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, because they go together. And then we'll also touch on the gospel uh, uh, that we shod our feet with. So first we see this truth, and it's, it's so foundational in the world in which we live right now. In his high priestly prayer of John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, and he says, sanctify them with or through, however you want to in, in, interpret that passage, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, so send I them into the world. Therefore, Jesus said, I sanctify myself so that they might be sanctified through me. Now that's a lot of sanctification going on there. And there's two interesting things that we need to understand about that word sanctify. It's uh, used quite often in scripture, but uh, many times it does not necessarily mean to be holy. That's not necessarily the meaning of sanctification. The meaning of sanctification is to set apart for something, to set it apart. Jesus, of course, did not need to be holy because he already was. However, Jesus did need to set himself apart in his ministry. So the first thing he did is he set himself apart from the Father from come to earth. That was his first sanctification. The second thing, and then as he was on the earth, he set himself apart quite often to listen to the Father, didn't he? He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only hear what the Father says to me, and that's what I do. So he set himself apart from all the stuff around him to do just what God told him to do. And, and he set himself apart to pray many times, right? He would set himself apart. He would sanctify himself to go into the mountain at night and pray. He would set himself apart from food. He would fast quite often. I don't like that sanctification. I was, I was watching the Olympics uh, here on TV a, little, a while back as I was eating my Pop-Tart. And uh, <laughs> just thinking of the dedication of those people. My Lord. <laughs> I, felt, I felt convicted spiritually watching them physically. Uh, I was watching, I was telling Butch uh, I, uh, the last night, we were, I was watching the, uh, the, the bi bicycle race. 145 miles. Up Mount Fuji. I would think twice about doing that in a car. You want to go see Mount Fuji? I don't know. It's 140 miles away. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. But, but that's, that's a form of sanctification in the natural realm. You're, they had to set themselves apart in their diets and in their exercise. They couldn't do a lot of things, right? Because they had to practice at four in the morning, get out, ride, run, do whatever they do. And so you have to set yourself apart. So that's what sanctification is. So that, that's the first definition. We set ourselves apart from the world and all of its lies into the word, which is Jesus. So we're doing that. We're setting ourselves apart. But we also have to understand the sanctifying agent, which is the word of God, who is Jesus. So it's somewhat ironic when Jesus prays that prayer. He's in essence saying, sanctify them, Father, with your truth. The word is truth, and I am the word 
therefore sanctify them with me. We sanctify ourselves with Jesus. We, we've talked about this before in, in, in other discussions as well. You can talk in the world, you can talk about God all you want. The world loves to talk about God. Oh, I believe in God, and God is this, and God is love, and God, God, God. But when you start talking about Jesus, then you're sanctifying the situation. You are now setting yourself apart, because a lot of times they don't want to talk about Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. So as it pertains to the armor, we're setting ourselves apart for one reason, and that is to combat the lies, he talked about it earlier in those several verses, the wiles of the enemy, the wiles of the devil that are out there, the, the realm of lies. We've said it last week, and I'll say it again, that when you walk out of these doors today, you are entering the realm of lies. It's a realm controlled by the father of lies, the New Testament says, the Bible says. Jesus said the one who controls this whole realm is the father of lies. He's the prince of the power of the air. Everything through the airwaves is controlled by him. The world lies in the lap of the father, Jesus said, of lies, who is the devil. And he will perpetually, continually perpetrate as many lies as possible to deceive us. Sometimes they are unintentional lies. It's just the way the world has gotten to think. <laughs> and it's just wrong thinking and it's unintentional. It just happens. Stuff that you hear in locker rooms, stuff that you grew up with, stuff that you hear people say that are just dumb, stupid things. Sometimes it's unintentional delusion. They're, they're just deluded. They, just don't, they don't get it. They are in a whole different realm of thinking. Uh, again, not, not to stir up anything, but I, I was just so disheartened when I heard that half of the girls' women's soccer team didn't, you know, they kneeled. And, and I'm, so then I, I watched them, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of these women are the, on the team are wealthy, young, white women. What are they protesting? They're protesting the country that has made them rich. I don't get it. But it's a strong delusion. It's a strong delusion. They're deluded. And, and we can't really get angry with them because you don't get angry with a deluded person. You try to help them, I guess. But, but they're deluded. But sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes the lies are calculated. And that's what Paul says at the beginning of this section. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness. We're wrestling against the wiles of the enemy, the schemes, the deceptions of the enemy. Remember last week we read that paraphrase from 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and, and, and the, the, the interpreter called it marketing and manipulation. Everything that happens to us is, is marketing and manipulation. But that's what's so wonderful about this. Paul starts this whole thing by saying, but... For us, we have the spirit of truth in the belt of truth that girds our loins. What a wonderful thing. Jesus said it this way in John 14. We have the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells in you and will be with you and will be in you. We have the spirit of truth in us this morning. That's why when we see so many things in the world, we just scratch our heads and go, what in the world are they thinking? <laughs> well, some of us used to think the same way, right? 
John the 15th chapter, Jesus said, But when the Comforter comes, whom I, shall, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify of him. John the 16th chapter, Jesus said it again. However, he, the Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, what a wonderful thing. We don't have to think as much as we don't have to worry as much. We can just allow the spirit of truth in the word to guide us into all truth. And then John picks it up himself in 1 John, the fourth chapter. He says, we are of God, and by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of error that's out there. So the primary foundation of all that we do is truth because he is true and he is in us. Thus we have in our innermost being girded the word of truth, the personhood of truth, who is Jesus, the spirit of truth, the mind that is truth, the heart that is true. You know what it's like to live with a true heart, don't you? Yeah, you do. It's just so frustrating sometimes. <laughs> because we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us now, and any time we want to lie, it just aggravates us. Anytime we want to shade the truth, we can't. Anytime we want to try, it's just so aggravating at times. We can't be like them. We try sometimes, but we can't. All that happens is we get grieved and angry with ourselves. Why? Because the spirit of truth is inside of us now. So drawing from that point, Paul then says, you need to be consistently set apart into the truth. You need to put that belt on you. You need to put that righteousness over your breast and over your chest and link it to that truth. Because a dishonest Christian cannot hope to withstand the father of lies. Impossible. If you're dwelling in a lie yourself, you are unstable and you will never be able to withstand the father of lies. Because there's truth in us. And, and that's the way we should act all the time. I had a, 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 a years ago, and uh, it's, I believe that the business is still there, Sorelli Jewelers on Market Street. And Joe Sorelli at the time was, was an elder in the church when, when I was pastoring there. And the first time that, that I went into the store to buy something, I said to him, a jewelry store, I said, Joe, I'm here to buy something for my wife. But I need to tell you right now, I, do not, I am not looking for and I do not want a pastor's discount. You know, pastors tend to expect that. I don't want a pastor's discount. I will pay you. I have the money in my pocket. I will pay you for what I want to buy. I don't want you to, I'm not looking for a Christian discount, a brother in the Lord discount, or anything like that. I'll pay you for what. But here's what I am expecting from you. If you are a true Christian, then you are going to give me the best possible deal for me and for you. If you say this is a good diamond, then I'm going to believe that it's a good diamond. If you say this is this particular type of gold and it'll do a particular type of thing, I'm going to believe you because you're a Christian and there is truth in you and you should not lie. So when I walk out of this store, I will have purchased the very best possible piece of jewelry that I could purchase in Youngstown, Ohio for the dollar that will satisfy me and keep your lights on. Because you got to pay bills. Now that's the way I like working with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I will pay you, but I will know that what I'm paying you for is exactly what I should be paying you for. 
No lies. Everybody's looking at me. See? It's true, right? That's what I want. I, I want to treat you the way you would be treated in me. The same thing. Because if we're all Christians, we are all have our loins girded with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to walk in truth. You cannot have your loins going in the direction of truth and your feet going in the direction of error. You can try it, but it's going to look really funny. And you are, it's not going to work. If your loins are girded with truth and you're walking that way in truth, your feet cannot walk any other direction. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? The word says. And he will accomplish nothing. Nothing. Mm. So, that leads us then to the next point, And that is, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we're walking in truth. We're walking in righteousness. Then the feet is the very next thing. And so Paul, he has a specific order here, evidently. He doesn't start with the sword or the shield. He doesn't start at the head. He starts in the middle. Then he goes to the feet. So he has some thinking here that he's doing. And this is universally regarded as an odd statement because he does not say your feet shod with the gospel of peace, but he said your feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that's an odd statement. So let's examine it quickly. First of all, it's the preparation for the walking, which is the gospel itself. The foundation of everything that we do has to be the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Has to be. The Roman soldiers would take nails in order to gain traction during battle. They would take nails and they would drive them through their, uh, the soles of their sandals. So they, could drive, they would drive them down, not up. Some of the dumb ones that didn't make it too long pounded them in the other way. They would drive them down so there would be spikes through their sandals so that when they were in battle, they could gain traction. And so I don't know if Paul was thinking about that, but he was saying there has to be traction underneath what we do. And it could be that Paul was thinking that this preparation that the good news gives us is good news that we have. The preparation is that we have good news. We have, we have good news. Guess what? There is no bad news in the good news. Ready? There is no hell in the good news. It's just the good news. There is no judgment in the good news. There's no penalty in the good news. There's no wrath in the good news. The good news, the evangelium in the Greek, is that God came in the flesh. He died for our sins. He rose for our justification. He sat down in glory for our sanctification. And he sent his spirit to guarantee our salvation. That's the good news. There is nothing else. That's the foundation we have. Good news. That God did the work. That Jesus secured salvation by his blood. That the Holy Spirit seals it into us. The good news is that it's not by our works. It's not by our holiness. It's not by what we do or do not do. It's by the blood of Jesus and accepted through faith. It's the good news. You say, well, wait a minute. Well, what about hell? Well, if you're dumb enough to reject this free gift, then whatever happens to you, happens to you. It's not my concern. I said it this last week in, in one of our discussions. It's very simple. <laughs> when I get to heaven, 
and I stand before the Lord, he's going to ask me about me, not about you. So if somebody wants to go to hell, that's between them and God. That's not, it's none of my business. All I can present to them is the good news. If you want to be set free from your sins, I've got good news. If you want to have peace and joy in your heart, I've got good news. If you want to have a new future, I've got good news. If you want your past to be erased, I've got good news. I've got all sorts of good news for you if you want it. If you don't want it, then hallelujah, that's between you and God. I don't know. But it's good news. And, and we can get this good news, even as believers, all goofed up and entangled in all sorts of bizarre doctrines and all sorts of silliness that comes through man's rationale and man's reasoning and the good news can get swallowed up in a whole list of do's and don'ts and all sorts of weird things and we can't allow that to happen the good news that we have is the good news of Jesus Christ period period I was I was reading this past week I, I shared before before church and by the way we've been praying for um uh, uh Adelaide uh um Kathy's uh, granddaughter, who is doing better, hallelujah, she's almost out of the woods, born a week yet, not a week, Monday, Monday, and uh, had some, some problems in her body, but thank the Lord has, has uh, overcome that, and so we were, we were talking before church, and I said I was, I'm going to use her in as, as an example, but for, there is a, there, just as a side note, there is a, a concept in the church called Calvinism, John Calvin, 1600s, uh, during the Reformation, uh, was battling the whole the concepts of the Catholic Church, etc. So you had Wesley and Calvin and others who were doing that, and uh, uh, a, a man of God. But he wrote those five tenets of faith: tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, uh, uh, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And he basically said that Jesus did not die for the whole world; he only died for a limited number of elect people so the atonement is not for everybody it's just for a certain number of elect people and those elect people have no choice but to go to heaven and the unelect people have no choice but to go to hell so if I'm elect I go to heaven if Karen sitting down here is not elect she goes to hell she can do nothing to change it and <laughs> what and I can do nothing to change it. And there are many people that still believe this. It's a very widely held concept among Southern Baptists, especially, and others in, in, our, in our neck of the woods. And, and that's wonderful. That's fine. But here's the problem. And this is where Wesley fought Calvin on this. But here's the situation. If little Adelaide would have died the day after she was born, she would have gone directly to hell if she was not of the elect. Little Stormy back there. Hold Stormy up. God bless Stormy. There she is. God, <laughs> God forbid, and this won't happen, but if she were to die tonight, according to Calvin, if she was unelect, she would go straight to hell forever. As a matter of fact, if little Adelaide would have died the day after she was born, the very first thing she would have seen as she opened her eyes was the torments of hell forever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to walk out of church and never be a Christian again. 
So I don't understand how people could believe that. But to me, that's not good news. That's bad news. <laughs> I want good news. I've got enough bad news in my life. I want good news that says if either of those little darlings went home, they're going to go home and be with Jesus forever. Hallelujah. I want good news. So we've got to be very careful. We've got to make sure we limit the good news to what the good news is and leave the judgment and everything else to the judge eternal that at some day we will all stand in front of. It's his business. He'll take care of it. But we have good news. And that leads to the second thing, and I'll close on this. And that is the progression then of the gospel. We've got a foundation under our feet. The soles of our feet are standing on good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it leads us to the progression of the gospel. So we have the preparation, but we have the progression. How lovely on the mountains of the feet of, are the feet of him that brings good news. Announcing peace. The, the, the prophet says, proclaiming news of happiness that our God reigns. That's the good news. <laughs> Peace and joy and blessing that God has given us. The gospel we have is good news. And that's why Paul says earlier in Ephesians, see then that you walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days are evil. He doesn't say short. He says evil. Who said evil? My aunt, God bless her. Evil, not short. You would think that he would have said, walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, for the days are short. He just said time and short. But he doesn't. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. In other words, you need to have truth on your feet as you're walking circumspectly. You need to have your loins girded with it. You need to have peace and good news wherever you walk because you're walking into evil. Walking into evil. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says, lift up the hands that hang down, Hebrews 12. Strengthen the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that which is not lame may not be further dislocated, but rather be healed. In other words, as you're walking with your feet, make sure that you're walking in truth and righteousness. Make sure that you're walking with the good news of Jesus. And just as he sent out those two, two by two, two by two, he sent them out. He says, tell them that the kingdom has come near you. There's peace, joy, and love for you. And if they don't accept you, just dust your feet off, go to the next door. Leave them in God's hands. Let God take care of them. But walk straight. Walk with good news. Walk with truth. And walk with righteousness. That's our foundation. Father, we just thank you so much that we have this good news right now. And, and our heart, our heart does ache for those that are trapped in the delusion of sin. For those that are trapped in the despair of that fifth of whiskey. They're trapped in the despair of that syringe, that bottle. They're trapped in the despair and the heartache, the heavy burden, the heavy yoke of that illicit relationship, of that devilish desire. 
Our heart aches for them because we know that the answer is the truth of Jesus. And if they could just look beyond their circumstance and confess their sins to you, my Lord, they would find such peace and joy and happiness and truth and contentment. And they'd be able to fix those broken loins, fix those broken feet, fix the lame knees, and walk straight. And you've given us that for them. You've given us that message. So help us to bring it to them with all the love, all the grace, all the mercy, all the peace that we can muster to help them to see that there's a much better way to walk because you've given us this armor, starting with truth and righteousness, finding its basis on the gospel of peace. What a joy. What a joy we have. We ask it and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. We've got a warfare that is ahead of us. There is no question. We've got a warfare that's ahead of us and around us. And the only solution that we can give them is the truth of the Word of God, which brings peace and joy. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a cutting sword, isn't it? It cuts both ways. But aren't you glad when it cuts the one way and then cuts back the other way, the Word says it heals too. And this is the healing that will occur when the truth comes. Hallelujah. How many are glad we have it? Say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Turn around. Bless somebody. You're dismissed. Go forth praising him in Jesus' name.